to you today about, um, well, before I start, I want to say something about our tax offering. We'll say about hunger. I talked about it on Wednesday night, spiritual hunger. But last Sunday, I had uh, a, word, a part of what I shared, which Jimmy wasn't here, and he really needed to hear it, so I'm going to say it again. Uh. <laughs> 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 anyway, it talks about how Jesus, when it said that Jesus came, uh, Philip's translation said Jesus came enjoying life. And in the Greek it says he came first as a human, anthropos. He came human. He came glutton. He came drunkard. I'm not saying you're glutton and a drunkard, Jimmy. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> but that he came human. And I, I've never thought about that and I've never talked about that. That, that Jesus came as human. And that God wants us to come as human. If we're striving to be so spiritual, we can't be in touch with human, we'll be no earthly good. And so you have to love your human. Uh, it's been Valentine's Day, so I guess people have been loving their husbands and wives, saying, I love my human. <laughs> oh, I love my human. But, so I, anyway, I said to the Lord, um, I said, God, that's the weirdest thing I think I've ever talked about, was saying that you came as human, and that we need to accept and be fully happy in our human that we are. We need to be happy with our humanness and accept that we are human. And so I'm saying to the Lord, that's the weirdest thing I think I've ever said, and I, I just felt strange about it, and and the Spirit spoke to me and said, yeah, but that's only the first age. And then uh, I heard him say, there is humility. And I thought, oh, okay, okay, he's going to show me some more things about little H words. It's, you know, that's not a bad thing. Anyway, and so the next morning after that happened, when I got up to pray, I turned on a podcast from the vineyard. And it had a feller on there. I've taken the word feller. I like that because Fran says that, and it just feels real down home when she says it, and I've just decided I'm going to make that part of my vocabulary. There was a feller on there. His name is Casey Corum. And Casey Corum was in a podcast with another guy from the Vineyard, and they were talking about the Vineyard worship values. The Vineyard Church was strong in worship, and their Vineyard Church was coming into worship in the time frame when we were strong in worship, and it's really called the Modern Worship Movement. And so we were part of birthing and advancing the, wa ma the modern. We're part of... <laughs> Let me see if I can say that. I got into saying... Uh, feller, and then I got into water, and now I'm going down into the low country of South Carolina in my brain, and there's nothing I can do about that. But anyway, so uh, we were part of birthing and advancing the modern worship movement. And so the Vineyard was also that, and so they're having a podcast about that. And I had originally heard Jeremy Riddle in an interview with Randy Clark just talking about why he had uh, moved from Bethel Church and shifted himself from Bethel Church 
in Reading back down to the Anaheim Vineyard, which is the original vineyard church, and about what God was dealing in it, with him in his heart about, about worship, and that the Lord was going to bring a fresh life and moving in worship and in worship songs, and it was going to become less production-oriented and more heart-reality-oriented. And so that just really stirred me listening to him. And when I'm listening to this Casey Corum, he's talking about the vineyard worship values. And I'm just like introducing what I'm going to say with this little story. Uh, and he said, uh, their worship values, he said, are hunger, humility, human. I thought, God, there's only two people I've ever heard say that. And this is the second one. And so, okay, you've got my attention. And the last one is home. And I don't know that I'll say all those things, but I'll link you to that podcast. Uh, in an interview with Carol Wimber, he's telling about an interview that Carol Wimber had, who was the wife of the founder of the vineyard, John Wimber, about the original marching orders for the first vineyard church in California. She talked about how they started, and this is how she described the group. Now, John Wimber, were, they were Quakers. Did you know they were actually real Quakers on the earth? Not just on the oatmeal box. <laughs> there are real Quakers on the earth, and so they were Quakers. And uh, Richard Foster, is it Richard Foster? Yeah, he's, he's a Quaker, I think Quaker, yeah. And our little man on, at the conference who did the hands down, hands up, that came rolling right out from the Quakers. Um, anyway, so Carol Wimber's describing the, the people. The beginning of the Anaheim Vineyard and the beginning of this movement, out of which sprang people like Randy Clark, who I heard Randy say he had laid hands on. John Wimber prophesied over him that he would, God would send him to lay hands on people and they would win a great harvest. And he laid hands on Heidi Baker, Leif Hetland, and I can't remember the third person. Who? Todd White. And so he laid hands on, the, he said each one of those he'd laid hands on had won a million people to the Lord. So I want you to think about, um, there's a little bit of history. I'm, I'm like a history person. I don't know if y'all figured that out yet. <laughs> but history is the testimony, and history is what helps you get hungry that you're listening to the stories of what happened. So Carol Wimber said they were Quakers, and they were, this is how she described the group that met, in a home that was the actual beginning of the Anaheim Vineyard. She said, we, we were burned out. We were bitter. We were caustic. We were desperate hungry people. And so they had gotten in touch with their lack. They kind of lost their hope and got in touch with their lack. They were, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor, the poor, the spoor. blessed are the poor in spirit, for they're going to receive. So... They, they were in this place, and so 
that she described them as burned out, bitter, caustic, desperate, hungry people. And Casey Corm says, hunger is the soul that intimate worship grows out of. So one of the, I talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night, but one of the things that the enemy wants to do is to say to you when you're burned out, when you're bitter, when you're caustic, when you're not knowing what's going to happen to you, when you're in these kinds of conditions, he comes with the idea that you're so in touch with your lack, you're no earthly good. I'm here today to tell you that if you are any of these things, you could be the beginning of a great move of God. That's facts, straight up. Because revival doesn't start with great and wonderful. Revival starts with desperate, burned out, bitter, caustic. I have come to the emptiness of it all, and I'm crying out because, God, what is this? I'm hungry. And so that puts you in touch with your lack. The precursor state of heart for God to move. I want you to think of this now. The precursor state of heart for God to move is a place of hunger. And so you're like, oh, we don't, I don't feel very filled. I don't feel very wonderful. That's a precursor state of heart. It's like the prevenient grace thing. There's something before something. There's always something God is doing before what he's doing next. And so when you get in touch with your misery, your aggravation with yourself, your aggravation with people around you, your lack, your feeling of lack, I can't get anybody healed. I said to the Lord this week, what is this? I don't feel like I can get anybody healed. And so when you get to uh, those kinds of bottom bottoms hit, hit those kinds of bottoms that you're hitting the precursor for what God wants to do you're getting to a place of hunger because I want you to think about hunger hunger is lack hunger is well, I, when I get hungry I, I lack uh, calories <laughs> I lack nutrition you know your brain needs like 300 grams or something of, of uh, glucose to operate. It's got to have a certain amount of carbohydrates to even work. And sometimes when I'm not eating, I think, oh God, you're going to have to do something. Well, you know what he does. He, he makes it out of other stuff in your body like that. Uh, <laughs> there's like this alternative system. There's the upfront system where you just eat a pasta and you got it. And then there's an alternative system where you don't eat the pasta and then a whole another little process rolls in. But you got to have it or you're going to be hungry. You're in lack. If you feel you're lacking in your relationship to God, I want to think about this. If you feel you're lacking in your relationship to God, God, I'm lacking. I'm lacking. I want more of you. I never get touched when people get touched. I never feel like I'm growing. God, what is wrong with me? I'm lacking. I'm lacking. I'm lacking. If you're feeling lack, then check your place of hunger. How hungry are you for God? How, how have, you let, have you let that come into your mind? Sometimes when we feel lack, we go into a thing of trying to make ourselves feel better, look better, or whatever. And then also there's the whole culture that we're in that 
oh God, I feel like I'm just going to be so sad because I'm so sad about, God, I want you to save my cousin. Oh God, I want you to save my cousin. Then you start to feel a little misery about it. I have no power. I can't witness to anybody, get anybody saved. I can't get anybody healed. Pet rescue. Oh, I can watch an ad and get a cherry bomb. Boom. Cool. There's all these things to distract you from the misery. Who likes misery? Nobody likes misery. Everyone's wanting to escape misery. But spiritual hunger, when you come to a place where God is getting ready to do a fresh work, in you or in an area or a group of people, they come to these places. Do you remember that the Moravians that I told you about, they came to uh, their meeting that day? They came to that meeting where the Spirit moved and set in motion a revival and a prayer meeting. It lasted a hundred years. They were miserable. They were disappointed. They didn't like each other. They were fighting over doctrines. And they were, they were like in contention with each other. And so their atmosphere when God came was not, oh, we're in a glorious atmosphere, God, 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 God. They were personally miserable. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who are hungering. Hungering, thirsting. You know, these are strong, innate drives. If you're looking at Maslow's pyramid of needs, food is right on the baseline. It's not up there with self-actualization. It's down there with food and sex are right down there on the... That's what would keep the human race moving forward. But hunger and thirst, these strong innate needs, Jesus said, blessed are those that are hungry. Any of you here that have had small children, little children, like babies? Yeah, like babies. (laughs) When they're hungry, what do they do? They eh, They don't send you like a text. (laughs) <laughs> they don't send you some saying, hey, I'm, I'm a little hungry. You've missed my feeding. I miss my feeding. I need to be fed. They cry. And so God said, blessed are those that are hungry after righteousness. And so those that are hungry after him. Those that are hungry are people that are not trying to find a way to disconnect themselves from their hunger playing pet rescue or whatever else you can distract yourself with. I like those because they have those little animated pigs and stuff that fall. And uh, <laughs> So we're, God wants us to get in touch with the fact that we are desperate, that we're hungry, that we're needy. And so that the things that we do that can break us away from 
our awareness of that hunger are the things he wants to, to be, make us aware of. I shared these on Wednesday night. Uh, some of these things. So, When you're disconnected from your hunger, you're hungry and you don't know it, one thing to do when you're disconnected from your hunger toward God, you've got these other things, you're miserable, and you know that you're not encountering God like you want to encounter God, and your prayers are not being answered as you want to see them answered, one thing you can do is take time to fast. You don't need to wait for the week of prayer and fasting. Just take time to fast. If it's just two meals a day or something, if you're going to fast, take, take some time to fast. And put yourself before God with fasting. Say, well, I'm, you know, I don't feel like I'm any great praying person to be fasting. But fasting drives out apathy. It really does. Fasting puts you in touch with physical hunger, which drives out apathy about spiritual hunger, and I don't know how all this works. I really don't know the apparatus of all this. Spiritually, I just know that if I feel stuck or I feel like I'm not breaking through or I feel like God has something he wants to do and I'm miserable about what God wants to do, that if I come to a place of fasting and I set myself to fast, I will begin, I'll get a breakthrough. Not while I'm fasting normally. Normally, while I'm fasting, I'm just hungry. I'm just fantasizing about soup beans. I had a horrendous thing happen to me yesterday. It was horrible. I have a stainless steel pressure cooker. I've had that pressure cooker 30 years, I guess. It's an, I've repaired it. I repaired it once, the whole lid. I repaired the whole thing once. And... I was trying to cook in it yesterday, and I was hungry for what I was going to cook, and so it wouldn't seal. So I run over to the hardware store, paid $12 for a seal. I had to make three trips because I kept bringing the wrong model number. I was determined. So I finally get the seal. I get back home with the new seal. I put it in there. It won't seal. I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? How can I cook beans if I don't have my pressure cooker? I was in like in a, I was after that thing. And so I had to go buy one of these instant pots. Well, when I got to where the instant pot was, I said, oh my gosh, this is a training. I just want to cook and eat these beans. It was my goal for the day to have this beans, cornbread, and slaw, and some cooked tomatoes. It was my goal for the day. I was focused on that. And I get to see the instant pot, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it'll take me three hours to figure out how not to blow the house up with this thing. So I bring the thing home, and it, it didn't take that long to get me f to figure out how to work the thing. But I never did get to eat what, what I wanted to eat. I, I was focused on food and hunger and going after what I wanted. God wants... I know, I should have called you right there. I should have just run right down there. 
That's what would happen if I was in tune with God. He would have said, Jane, go down to Sam's. <laughs> Just load up the car and go down to Sam and Peggy's. It's down there. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy would be calling because he was one of those beings. But God is calling us to not be disconnected from our hunger. He's calling us about spiritual hunger and lack and need to, let, to sit with that and to let yourself sit with what you're longing for and to let him begin to stir in you deeper and stronger hunger and you can, fasting will help do that. A second way, and this is Casey Corum. He said he went back to old wells. When he found himself hungry, or found himself dry, or needed to be uh, seeking after God, he would go back to old wells, to a home base of some sort that he had stepped away from. Sometimes we can step away from something that was giving us life and hunger and longing and we don't realize what we've done. And so, search your heart and go back to old wells if you need to. Righteousness, when Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, the word righteousness is the word for justice. It has to do with the order of a judge. And so the righteousness we hunger after is the order of the judge of heaven that adjudicated us, approved by God. One of the things that keep people feeling dead to God or not seeking or not feeling they can seek is a lie that God doesn't really feel right about you, that something's not right about you and God. This righteousness is not about righteous deeds. It's about adjudication of you are approved by God. God approves you. That is the righteousness of God that is in Christ. We've been given that through the death of Jesus on the cross, the work of Jesus on the cross, his death, his resurrection, and the moving of the Holy Spirit. That has been given to us as people. But, we have to be in touch with, or we need to be in touch with, are you self-condemning yourself? Are you hungering after righteousness that you adjudicate? Do you understand the term adjudicate? That's when the judge puts down the gavel, writes the order, and it is done because the judge said it. And so... Uh, are you looking for a righteousness that you adjudicate? Something that you are wanting to feel good about yourself about and you're struggling with a self-righteousness. He has given us the blood of Christ, the work that he has done, his final say that we are righteous in him. And so I want to encourage you today to abandon everything that you're trying to sort yourself out with Think, make yourself feel righteous or feel better and just get to a place where you accept God has done this, the blood of Jesus is over me. All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. They are amen to the glory of God. All that he has promised, he has given us to do as a job. All of his promises, we're to be released in the earth to 
activate those promises and bless people with those promises and give to other people. But you will be hindered from doing it if you're endeavoring to find your own sense of righteousness. If you're trying to find a place where you can put the gavel down, adjudicate yourself, I'm now righteous and good. So it's the blood of Jesus that gives that. And so these are the things I shared on Wednesday night. There is a numbing effect that comes to your hunger, so you're not attuned to it. And this numbing effect comes by these things. The first thing that can numb you to hunger toward God is difficult circumstances. Just difficult circumstances. You just get exhausted, worn out emotionally trying to work through some sort of process or circumstances that are adverse or coming against you. Difficult circumstances can numb you to the hunger for God. So, secondly, sickness and weakness can numb you to hunger for God. You think, well, you'd think when you're sick, you'd be like, have you you ever been like sick, sick? Praying is like the last thing. That hunger, going after God, is like the last thing. You're so distracted. Or if you're really sick, sick, you're just laying there. Or, yeah, lying there, I guess. Lying there. Unless somebody laid you down. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) there's school teachers in you. You have to be careful with this stuff. Uh, (laughs) Sickness and weakness. So think about these things. If you have difficult circumstances, sickness and weakness, and the uncertainty in your life. I don't know what's going to happen. There's great uncertainty. Where am I going to be? Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? People have uncertainties that come in their life. And uncertainty can have this same effect on a person. Where you're just kind of caught in a vortex. And you numb yourself to the fact, God, here I am. Stir that hunger. Cry out for your lack. And ask God to move on your heart by the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh encounter with God. Individually, we, individually, we need a fresh encounter with the Lord. It is a hunger. As, as we hear about the encounters that God is doing around the world or whatever, and the, read about the histories of how God has moved, and consider also the different times in your life when God has come to you and you have encountered Him in a powerful way. Stir those things up because that will help stir up hunger. And when you're in a numbed spot, and you're in a place of defensiveness, dig yourself out of that by fasting and saying, God Almighty, stir in me the hunger. I see my lack technically. I feel it hardly at all. I want more of you. I want more. I'm telling you now, I want more. I don't know about y'all, but I want more. I want more. I want more. There is more, and I want more. And so, what more of what, Jane? More of effectiveness in God, more of His presence, more of His life, more of the prophetic word, more of the word of knowledge, more of the things that will bring people to Jesus Christ and make a difference in this world, because that's our job. So, 
Charles Finney had a method of laboring for revival that involved a process of self-examination. It's Fran's favorite thing. Through this process, you are brought to repentance of sins of omission and commission. You're just like, it's like an inventory. You're just checking yourself out. And through the awareness of your spiritual poverty, hunger begins to grow in prayer. That's really what the Finney stuff would do. It puts you in touch with your spiritual poverty. You begin to examine. It's not introspective in an ugly way at all. But when the Spirit moves, this often is a result. That people see their spiritual poverty. They see their great need. Uh, Titus Cohen, working for Revival in Hawaii, had been impacted by the revivals of Finney in New York. He came to the island of Hawaii in 1835 and he saw a great move of the Spirit that had similar effects as the ones that happened at Cane Ridge Revival. People fell under the powerful influence of the Holy Spirit. He would preach, he would pray, and he would influence people in both meetings, preaching, and he would influence people praying, and then he would do private conversations in small groups. When I'm reading about this fellow's life, Gabriella sent me a, a little article about it. When I got it, I went, ooh. Um, when I was reading about this fellow's life, he went at it with great, in, he was intentional. And he would walk the, the part of the island that was his part. He would walk from place to place and preach, teach, talk to individuals, talk to little groups of people. He was influencing people for the gospel and for, for the Lord. But this came to him through the effect of being in the revivals of Charles Finney in New York. He was in the Finney stuff, in the Finney revivals. He was there when there was the, the working of the Holy Spirit, where there was strong prayer, and Father Nash was there with, with Finney, and so many people were saved. This man brought so many people became Christians. The church grew exponentially. And there were two, two people there that were from the Finney revival that were laboring in this way. They were in conversations. They were in small groups. There was preaching. There was praying. And there were people coming in touch with their great spiritual lack, and God was creating hunger. And in that setting of hunger, they broke through. And so he didn't just sit around and say, oh, we need a move, which we do need a move. But he, he didn't just sit around and say, I'm praying for revival. He was laboring to influence. He was laboring to influence uh, others to know that they could be saved, they could be born again. He was laboring for the gospel among people who weren't even saved. And then people that were already saved were getting revived. So when this revival came there, it was very much, the way it was described, was very much like the revival that came here. When the Spirit moved among them, people began to cry out. 
and they would cry out with repentance. They would publicly cry out with a repentance. And when they would publicly cry out with a repentance, all the other people would enter into that as if they were in agreement with that particular repentance. And so as God would pierce the heart of a person with, I hate so and so and so, then that wasn't just that you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, you hate somebody? The power of the Spirit in that would penetrate your own heart and every person in the hearing of it was examined by the Spirit on that subject. And that's how they described this revival. I thought, well, that's the coolest thing. Because that God moved in a powerful way and it set them into a, an action that made the gospel advance very strongly in Hawaii. Added a lot of people. Shekinah Church, it is time for hunger. It is time for hunger. It is time to cry out for the moving of the Holy Spirit. It is time to cry out that the Spirit will attend our times of prayer and our conversations. It is time to see those who do not accept Jesus as their Savior to hear with revelation the promise of the gospel. It is time to heal the sick. It is time to cleanse the unclean. It is time to cast out demons and it is time to raise the dead. It is time to do the work that faith requires us to do. James, the book of James says in James chapter 2, I think it is. What use is it, my brethren, chapter, verse 14, if someone tells you he has faith and he doesn't do anything? We always think of this as like uh, comparing ourselves to the Middle Ages and the old Catholicism where people were uh, trying to work their way to salvation. And you had to do works, and then when you, you found out after you died how it all turned out. Um, the big surprise. I was always afraid of the big surprise. Um, that's not what this is about. It's not what use is it, brethren, if someone has faith and he has no work. It's not that you're working for your salvation. It is if you have faith, you will do the work of God. If you have faith, you will do the works of Jesus. What were the works of Jesus? The works of Jesus were giving forgiveness, cleansing unclean things, healing things, restoring things, bringing life and bringing hope. If you have faith, it will put you into action. And not action of, I've got to try to, I've got to, I see I've got to fast three days, I need to, oh my gosh, what do I, what do I need? I've got to read, I've got to start reading the Bible starting in Genesis and I always would only get to like Genesis 4. Every year like Genesis 4 and give up. Um, <laughs> so, faith without works is dead. Not works for your salvation. But if we have true faith, we put it in action. I can remember Kathy Dow talking about praying for a woman's eyes in the line at the Piccadilly. She shocked herself. She probably shocked the people that were with her, too. <laughs> they were probably going, what? what's going on here? 
Faith worked in her. God wants us to be filled with a hunger that we will have a working that comes outside of us. That we will not just be people that are discussing <laughs> hunger, talking about hunger. It's got to get outside of our mind. If someone says to you, I have faith, you have faith, excuse me, you have faith, I have works. Well, show me your faith without works. You can't see it's invisible. It's the works that are the substance that make it visible. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Well, you do well. The demons believe that. and They shudder. Don't you know, faith without works is useless. And I pray that all of our longing and all of our desire will intensify. And that all of our faith that we have will be released in a cry for God to move on us in a fresh way. That we can see a working of faith that's coming out of us. That it will not be, oh well... Um, I have so much faith. Sometimes my fa I have so much faith, I'm just like shaking all over. I've got so much faith. The book of James says if you give somebody a blanket, it shows you have faith. You're doing something. You're moving with what's in your heart. So I want to encourage you, and let, let's stand together. And uh, I think I'm done with this. Faith that doesn't involve action is phony. That's the passion. So I want us to be hungry, and a people that are hungry. And so I want us to just stand, lift our hands to the Lord, and commit ourselves to not numbing ourselves when things are not great and we don't think we're all that. That we will truly cry out and cry out to God. And that when, as He's working in us, we will not sit back in our cries waiting on uh, a chariot to come down, a chariot of fire and take us somewhere but that we'll open our mouths and open our hearts and open our hands and not be people that are stuck in prayer waiting. Waiting doesn't mean you do nothing. Waiting means you wait and you put your faith out where it can be seen. And so let's you know, say, well, Jane, if you're saying you're calling us to prayer and to hunger, then we're not going to get anything done here because we're just going to be stuck somewhere praying and getting nothing that cannot be so. It's got to be all of the above. It's got to be that our faith is coming out of us in action. And that our hunger is going toward God. Our hunger and our lack is going toward God. And our faith is going toward people. I want you to hear me. Our hunger and our lack is going toward God. And our faith is going toward people in action. To release what God has given us. He has given us the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit to release. He has given us 
all the fruits, I think there are nine of those, to release, to live in and exist in and release so people can recognize that you're a nice person. But that he has given us the gifts. So while we're hungering for him and crying out for him, that does not excuse us from giving out what my action of faith toward God in hunger does not negate my action of faith in works to do what he said to do. Go you into all the world. Preach the gospel. Heal the sick. He said to do that. (sighs) Heal the sick. These are our jobs. Go. This is the commission. These are our jobs. Go you into all the world. Preach the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus has paid it all. It's not very complicated. Preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Cleanse the unclean things. Cast out demons. Raise the dead. Lord, we accept our commission from you. And Lord, knowing that that is our commission and seeing where we are in our evaluation of where we are in that commission makes us know greatly our spiritual lack. And we ask you, Lord, to stir our hearts to not be afraid of knowing that we have lack, to not be afraid of of accepting that we have great need of you to move in our hearts, and to to know that we can cry out to you to move in revival with a fresh anointing. Lord, we know that you can anoint us in a way that will set things in a whole other way, motion and a whole different power. And we're looking to you for that. Thank you, Lord. I want you like a person who's getting married to say to the Lord, I do. I do. Or if you were a Methodist before, you can say, God helping me, I will. <laughs> That's how we do But it's the commitment of God, I do. I desire, I hunger. And I want to pray over you. Father, in Jesus' name, impart to us holy longing and hunger. I pray, Lord, you will break in on every dull and dry thing in us, every fear, everything that's numbed us, everything that's put us in some sort of a holding pattern in our individual hearts. I ask you, Lord, for the gift of hunger and the gift of desire, the gift of longing. I ask you, Father, for the the fire of the Holy Spirit in this place, that your fire would burn in us to yearn after you that our faces would be set toward that we of your presence being filled with your life. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord. I th- oh, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Poppy. Holy Spirit, come. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. If you're here and you have something you want to have prayer over or if you want to do some business with God personally yourself, I want you to know the altar is always open to come and spend some time or if you have something you need to give to God or turn over to God or some work you need to work, have the Lord minister to you about, Feel free to do that. Sam will play us some uh, come to the altar music. And I want to invite you to do that if you desire to. And um, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. I give you praise. If you feel you need to go, I want you to 